the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I want you to think back, if you can, to your childhood. What was the singular most important event when you were school-aged? It was the biggest discussion point among classmates. It wasn't a holiday. It was actually much more personal. It was one that you had sole rights at times to plan and even construct the invitation list for. And among classmates, it was quickly revoked if you cross ways with a classmate on their invitation list if you got at odds with them. It was always planned as though it were tomorrow, although it could be six months away. Regardless, it was looked forward to with great joy and great celebration. Do you recall what it was? Here's a hint, a big hint. It was your birthday. If you've forgotten those days, if you have little ones in your world, uh, either your own or nieces or nephews or uh, those in extended family, you're reminded of it regularly. In our home, it's a daily buzz, as we actually do have a birthday approaching in the not-too-distant future, although you'd been hearing about it for months at this point, thinking as though it was tomorrow. And birthdays are rightly a big deal, because in many ways, it marks our moment, marks our celebration into the world. And it's a day where we're seen, we're loved, and we're recognized. It touches on something very deep within the human heart. I share this with you today, not merely just to take you down a jog in memory lane, but to take you to another moment before us, a day of great celebration, a birthday, if you will, in its own right, that of your baptism. Because it's in that moment that you are born into God's family. It's that moment that is one of particular joy. And while today may not be your birthday into God's family, it stands as such for us all. Because today, as we've just heard in Mark's gospel read, we celebrate Jesus' own baptism. And that's significant to us because Jesus' baptism points to what happens in our own baptism. So I'd invite you to open your Bible or follow along in the bulletin before you or on the screens in person, whatever you choose as we look back at this short passage together. Because in it, we do find cause for great celebration, but we also find cause for renewal towards that end in light of that celebration. We pick up actually a few verses before the moment of Jesus' baptism in the final words, at least as Mark records them, of John the Baptist, who's foretelling of this Messiah who quite literally enters the scene um, a moment later. And these are significant because they capture what happens to us in baptism, not for Jesus' sake, but for our sake. Namely, that in the baptism of Jesus, in our baptism into His name, more importantly, something happens that no other purification rite or baptism um, up to this point has ever been able to achieve. So if you think back um, scripturally in Judaism and in other places, baptism was not new. Um, in fact, it happened in Judaism um, through purification rites several times a day. And it was intended to purify one on the outside to symbolize 
the purification um, before they ate, before they fellowship, before they worship, before they, I mean, the list went on and on and on. And unlike that baptism, even unlike the baptism of John up to this point, which is a purification rite of its own, um, whereby hearts were prepared for the Messiah, or even unlike um, any kind of baptism or purification in the temple, whereby animal sacrifice would remit for a moment um, the sins of the people on their behalf. None of them could get at what the baptism of Jesus would do, namely the bringing and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, God himself, would do something for us in baptism through Jesus that no other purification or baptism prior could do. Only God, as the teachers of the law noted, could remit sins. Only God can unite us to himself. We can't do that on our own in any way, shape, or form. And so, through baptism in Jesus, the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, unites us to himself and resides within us. And in so doing, the Holy Spirit um, redeems, yes, but continues to restore and renew us insofar as we'll continue to cooperate with His will in our lives from that moment onward. That we who were no people are now no longer orphans, but children of God through the waters of baptism as we are birthed into God's family. So today is a day of great celebration for our own sake, because it opens up to us the way of life in what Jesus does for us. And as we dwell on that for a moment, we shouldn't miss, certainly in the midst of the days that we're in, a cause for great celebration. It should be on our minds um, with such joy, much as your childhood baptism was on your mind all the time as a kiddo, um, that in many ways we are called to celebrate this moment, for it is a truly transformative moment in our lives, and one that should be marked and remembered and celebrated. But then from that place should also daily transform us as the journey therein begins, as we're birthed into God's family thereafter. And it's fitting, in many ways, that the church year and this event therein falls at this point in the secular year. Uh, it always falls early in the secular year, in, in some portion of January, early on, uh, after we cross over Epiphany on January 6th. It's always the Sunday after. And we need that. Because every year at the start of a new year, we resolve to do new things. We're riding high with expectations and hopes for something better. And we react to the world around us and what's going on in our lives. And so, in many ways, we need a reminder from the start of who we are, and more importantly, whose we are, through the waters of baptism. And in any normal year, that would be true. But this seems to not even be a normal year, does it? Even as we cross through um, 2020 to get into 2021, the first week has been one for the record books. And as we reflect on that and as we react to that, the culture around us will continue to tell you to find your identity in various places, whether in your family origin and place of birth, that there is a touch point for you in some place, shape, or form 
through your nationality, party affiliation, through the new um, resolutions you might make at the start of a new year, or if you just get one more job affirmation title, you will have arrived. If you just find a new look, a new skill, a new status, a new this, a new that, the list goes on and on. And it's quite exhausting and polarizing in so many different ways. And yet, in the midst of it all comes the baptism of Jesus that says, none of that matters. What matters most is your identity in Jesus as part of God's family first and foremost through the waters of baptism, because that's the only identity that can give you purpose and protection and, more importantly, meets something deep within us that in the innocence of our childhood, our baptism, I mean our birthday rather, scratched upon, a desire to be seen and loved and belong. That is met in the waters of baptism. And we see those words actually captured in verse 9 and following. If you look back there with me for just a moment, you see that in Jesus' baptism, it's so significant because first, what, the heavens are open and peeled back. The Holy Spirit alights upon Jesus to confirm who he is to begin his ministry. Yes, in this moment, scripturally, is one of the few Trinitarian moments, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are there. It is a beacon not to be missed. But it also points to what happens in our own baptism, that when we choose to draw near to the kingdom of God, the heavens are peeled back, the Holy Spirit alights upon us, and then the words in verse 11 become said of you. God looks on you in your baptism and says, you are a beloved son or daughter, and with you I am well pleased. You're seen. You're loved. You have a place to belong. Those foundational needs of our heart and soul are met in God. God sees us, thanks be to God, not as the sum of our achievements nor our mistakes. He sees us not according to our lot or our place. He looks upon us and sees in baptism what we cannot see in ourselves, namely who we are in Christ Jesus. He looks upon us as forgiven and redeemed and says, you are a dear, beloved child of God because in you I dwell and I delight. It's truly profound when we think about it. And if we sit in it, it can truly overwhelm us because it meets everything we desire but cannot find anywhere else. So let us not miss first that that's a moment to celebrate. It's the greatest moment, really, to celebrate in your life, that amidst all the shouts from the world and the culture around us, let alone the wayward shouts of our own hearts and desires that entangle and ensnare us, that here comes this reminder, which seems quiet. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are, that you are a beloved child of God, and there is your identity. And don't ever neglect that. But more than that, it calls you to let your life take shape around that identity, above and over against every other identity or hat or name that may be placed upon you or you place upon yourself. Not merely to celebrate this with our lives today and go, you know, that was great, um, but then allow the um, accolades, the world around us, and all that gets heaped and hobbed and, and heaved upon us to just push that right back out of our minds in the hours, let alone the days, that coincide after this service and this reminder. 
but rather to allow um, these words um, to drive forth all of the rest as we realize that those are checked by who we are in Christ, first and foremost. And so, it's fitting on this day, historically, that we renew our baptismal vows towards that end. And in fact, if you look in your bulletin back on page 6, if you'll follow along, there's, there's three things that you do, well, six things you do, three things you turn from, you renounce, you repent, you do an about-face, and then three things you embrace. The first that's there before you that you renounce is the world that's under the sway of the devil and the spiritual forces of wickedness as it's captured. My goodness, after a week that's just passed, I don't have to illustrate that to you. We've seen the waywardness of the human heart on grand display. And it's first as Christians to recognize that that's not how God intends anything to be. Even on the best of days, there's always pride, there's always agendas, there's always um, some other goal, and to recognize that things are not right yet, and to realize that they are void and dark, not as God intended for us or the world that we live in, and that we take a step away from that and recognize that fact. And secondly, we're called to renounce the empty promises and deadly deceits of this world which destroy and mar us, to recognize that that's what those things are that you're bombarded with every day. They're empty. They're void. That the things that are heaped upon you, the things that are uh, said of you, the things that people speak of you, the desires of your own hearts, um, the waywardness of the world around us and the people that, that are um, running around and doing all the things in our culture to lead and um, even in our own office places and their own agendas. and I mean, all that we see around us is empty promises apart from God. There's nothing there for us to find hope in unless they are pursuing hope in Christ Jesus as we are. And if they are, it's a very different cadence to life. And then finally, we renounce the empty, deadly desires of this flesh, which draws from the love of God. We recognize that we're not just victims, but we've done our part. We've played our own role. We've followed our own ends and our own gains. And so we've not accorded with God's purposes in our lives. But more than that, we've actually rejected the very love of God that's evident in these verses when we do those things. And so from that place, we, we turn around so that we can turn to and walk toward something, someone else, which is where the next three questions will go. That we first walk toward Jesus, that we utter again our commitment to follow Him as Lord and Savior, that we allow our lips to embrace those words so that our lives and the subsequent two questions may take shape around them, not just a belief that, yes, all that we need necessary to salvation is contained in Scripture, which is a tidy statement, but that because I believe that, I, as that third question will ask of you, will obey those things and walk in them fully in my life. And all that we need to do that is there right in your hand uh, when you open it daily. So today first is a day to celebrate. It's a day to remember and return and then also a day to move forward and to mature. Because the journey of the Christian life isn't just to remain an infant in the household of God, but rather to continue to embrace, renew, and recommit because we're called to maturity, 
in the household of God so that we grow up, that we move forward, and that we embrace our identity found therein. So first, we allow these words to wash over us so that they may wash us clean of all the other things that have ensnared us of life, and then we take tangible steps to embrace them in our own lives going forward. So perhaps you need reminders towards that end. Um, maybe verse 11 could be written out or journaled or taken a photo or printed or whatever it might be to remind you of who you are, who your identity is in, so that upon your rising and or going to bed, you're reminded of that, so that that orients you. It becomes your North Star, if you will, among all the things in the course of your life, in the days, in the months, and in the year ahead. So as we begin a new year, we begin anew with the reminder of that first and foremost. Don't miss it. In a sense, you can insert your name there. Maybe you could if you wrote it out. John, you're a beloved child of God in whom God dwells and delights. Lise, you're a beloved daughter of God in whom God dwells and delights. Leah, you're a beloved daughter of God in whom God dwells and delights. Put your name in there to remember whose you are so that when you walk beyond these doors, when the day hits you with everything that you can't imagine, you can return to that time and time again. And then when you do so, you allow that to animate your life in ways that align your life with growing up as a child of God. So that when it's all said and done, we know there's no greater call. There's no greater goal in this life. We know, we believe as Christians, all else shall fade. All else will let you down. Everyone else in this life will let you down. But these words and the one who speaks them God himself never has, and he never will. And so let that be our pursuit, our passion, and our desire, and let our lives take shape around it, because we believe at the end of it all, we will see him face to face. And when we do, may it be said that we hear the next words, well done, good and faithful one, enter into the joy of your master, because that day and that meeting will be the greatest celebration that we have ever seen. So may we look forward to that one as we celebrate the foretaste that we get in the reminder of our baptism this day so it may carry us forth to that day where we rejoice in his presence forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.